Welcome to KC by Siri, a podcast for Kansas City enthusiasts. I'll take you behind the scenes and you'll learn why this Midwestern gem is so special. This week, I'm joined by Jill, owner of Swordfish Tom's, a cocktail bar located in the crossroads. Jill moved back to Kansas City after working as a bartender in Nebraska. She brought her cocktail concept here and created one of the most beloved and unique bars in the city. Here's Jill to talk about Swordfish Tom's. KC Masseri. I would love to hear a brief history of your career and how you came to own Swordfish Toms. My first venture into ownership um, was at The Other Room in Lincoln, Nebraska. I always tell people that I was very lucky in that situation. Um, I was, gosh, probably at least 13 years into my career at that point. I was lucky enough to be able to try a concept on someone else's dime. Um, It was, you know, this little, in fact, I just went up this last week to bartend the 10-year anniversary of that bar. And it was such a great experience um, opening that place because I learned things that just blew my mind. It made me look through a completely different lens of our industry and hospitality. Everybody told us that it was a concept that would never work in Lincoln, Nebraska. We broke all of the rules. You know, we, in, in a Husker Nation territory, we did not serve beer we did not cater to Husker football Saturdays. Um, we just, you know, did what we did. And um, and it was this tiny little craft cocktail bar um, and, and premium spirits bar. And today, you know, it's the only James Beard nominated cocktail program in Nebraska that I'm aware of. Um, so we were real proud of that just to kind of get our flyover country, you know, place on the map. I, I graduated from college in Kansas City. So Kansas City is kind of, is my college town. And I had been approached by uh, a couple of um, regulars um, who would come to Lincoln for for games and asked if I would be interested in replicating the concept in Kansas City. And I was, of course, interested in returning to Kansas City. I love Kansas City. Uh, Kansas City has always felt like home to me, even though it's not technically home. It's my my college home. Um, so I was super excited about that. So uh, in 2015, I moved back to Kansas City to start scouting out um, places for the, the concept that would be Swordfish Toms. How did you find the location for Swordfish Toms? Because it's very hidden for those who don't know where it is. So how did you find that location? So it's actually a really funny story. The architect who helped us find the space, his name's Doug Stockman. He's a lead architect at Helix Architecture here in town now. But back in the day, he was back then he was with Eldorado. During the time that I was driving back and forth, scouting for potential locations for Swordfish Toms, you know, I was familiar with Kansas City, but a lot had changed since I had been here. So I wanted to really get a feel for the different neighborhoods. And I was familiar with the crossroads, but it was undergoing this incredible transformation. Um, So I was spending a lot of time driving back and forth between Lincoln and Kansas City, trying to find potential locations and make connections. And on one of those trips back, I stopped in Nebraska City to get gas. And there was a guy also getting gas. And I just registered his appearance and style. He was very stylish. And I'm from Nebraska. And I can, with authority, say, that guy is not from here. You know, and I just <laughs> like that guy is too dapper for Nebraska City. So I, I went on my way. I came back to Lincoln that day. And I actually had to work the other room that night. And so I opened the bar. And lo and behold, a few hours later, the same guy walks into uh, the other room in Lincoln and it was Doug. And so when he came up to the bar to order, I, I think I freaked him out a little bit. And I was like, hey, were you, were you in Nebraska City earlier today? 
And he was like, yeah, that's weird. <laughs> um, I was like, hey, you know, yeah, sorry. I, I saw you at the gas station and I just registered your your face. And and um, it's it's a weird coincidence that you're in here. And uh, I said, I'm, I'm looking at, and I asked him what he, was, what he was in town for. And he was judging an architecture competition at the University of Nebraska. And he was very smitten by the other room. And I was like, hey, we're, we're looking for space, you know, in Kansas City to replicate this concept. And he was immediately on board to help us find space. And so, yeah, Doug Stockman, I mean, I mean, the, the, the bar found us. It, like, I mean, the space found us. It was, a, it was a really, really great, cute little story. And I actually just bartended the Helix Christmas party the other night also. So it kind of comes full circle. Like, yeah, the people that come into your life through serendipity are pretty great. You had taken the concept from the other room to Swordfish Tom's of only offering craft cocktails, not offering any beer. What is it about craft cocktails that you love so much and that you love working on and coming up with with new recipes? Um, well, and, and, and I have to give a shout out right now to staff because as much as I love that side of it, I don't really get to participate in that much of that side of it anymore. We have a wonderful operating partner uh, Simone Maley, who is, um, runs Swordfish, you know, day-to-day -day operations and, and Tim Whipple, who's been there since the beginning and a couple of other wonderful staff members, James and Bex, it's in really good hands. And uh, I, I trust that it's in, in the hands of people who are equally as passionate as I am about hospitality and cocktails. And, you know, the, the, there's kind of a twofold answer to that question. Uh, of course, I, I feel like I came up through bartending in this really perfect timing, of the second golden age of cocktails emerging and being able to capitalize on a, a quality driven versus quantity driven atmosphere. That's something that's important to me because I don't like thinking at night about how I serve poison for a living. And I would like to believe that we are serving people who go out and have one or two and are really there more for the hospitality and the conversation with the people that they're with. You know, we're really the backdrop. It's kind of an honor to be in people's memories you know if you're going out to celebrate something or commemorate someone you know it's not always celebration sometimes you know the, you know it, it's it's life you know and or people just trying to keep a relationship together and it's a real honor when people choose your space as the backdrop for that uh, and so i you know i i, I uh, try to focus on that and then it's also a perception of value issue you know with price points there is a business side to this you know we you know of course we to stay alive the business does need to make money and there is something about cocktails, um, the perception of value and price point for craft cocktails is more beneficial to the success of a business than, you know, a, a, a dive bar where you have to work. Don't get me wrong. I came from dive bars. I love dive bars, but you have to work twice as hard. Cheers to all the dive bartenders out there because they are working twice as hard to make the same amount of money because they're selling a lower price point product. Um, and they, they have, you know, each side has its cost benefit analysis, you know, we have we have to take on more responsibility for hospitality and product knowledge um but man like those the, the bartenders that are out there like slinging the volume um they're hustling they're earning it you mentioned the sort of resurgence of craft cocktails and i have loved seeing all of the different cocktails especially in Kansas City that have emerged recently and seeing what bartenders are able to come up with with ingredients, I just think it's so fun to see what bars like Swordfish Tom's and others alike are able to do and, and bring people together in that way. And I think it's awesome. I, I think it's pretty cool. There's two things that I will always, you know, scream the loudest about. There's two dirty secrets that I always share. One, there's only about six craft cocktail templates. You know, the work has really been done before us. And as long as you stick to those templates and those builds and you understand why they work for balance and execution, 
you can do riffs on them all day long with all of the flavor profiles. And there's so many wonderful products to work with now. When I started bartending, there were not quality modifiers. No one was making custom syrups. Uh, and, and now you can really just do amazing things with high quality modifier liqueurs, high quality base spirits, uh, you know, people putting the time and energy into doing custom syrups that can add any flavor profile you want. And I will also say, I'm going to give credit to, you know, secondary tertiary markets. You know, I, I always say this in almost every interview. One of the, the things that I'm really proud of about Kansas City is that we're an affordable market. You know, I couldn't do what I do in Chicago or New York or L.A. or, you know, I mean, it's the, the fact that our, our rent is so much more affordable than one of those apex markets gives us the lateral movement ability to be able to provide high quality, truly high quality products at a price point that you just don't see in other markets, you know, in, in larger markets, I should say. And I'm, I'm proud of that. As much as people like to say, like, oh, you know, the Midwest or small towns or flyover country, I'm here to tell you that there are awesome things happening in almost every small market in this country. And they might not get the press because it's not glamorous to say you traveled there to check it out. But that affordability is allowing people to do really interesting things and at an affordable price where they can actually create sustainable, profitable businesses doing it. And yeah, I, I wouldn't be anywhere else. What is one of your favorite cocktails to drink? And what's one of your favorite cocktails to make? <laughs> so whenever people ask me what my favorite cocktail is, I always say margaritas, which is why I don't drink margaritas. I'm, I'm, I'm a lightweight and I need to drink something that pushes back a little bit. As a fun fact, I've never had a drink at any of my bars. Uh, I, I just, just a hard line I draw in the sand with, you know, not mixing business with pleasure. I, I love to riff on the Manhattan as a build. I, I think, you know, the, the bartender that can put together a well-balanced cocktail with three ingredients, that tells you they know their spirits. It's more challenging. You know, it's a, um, it's, it's easy to cover up, to get into the cover-up game of, oh, well, now it needs a little sour, and now it needs a little spice, and now it needs a little bitter, and pretty soon you've got an, a nine-ingredient cocktail that just kind of tastes muddy and maybe yummy, but the flavors aren't really coming through. You know, I, I, I'm very reverent of the pride that the producers of the products that we work with have, you know, and, and so I have a, a philosophy that if you're going to put something in a cocktail it needs to come through. The flavor needs to come through. Uh, that's that's being reverent of the passion of the, the distillers um, and the producer of the products that we use. I, I'm a fan of the, those classic, simple, you know, two and three ingredient cocktails that let the products really shine. How have you marketed yourself since 2015 when opening? Like what has worked best for you? Because I know that Swordfish Toms is often labeled as a speakeasy, but for something that is sort of this hidden gem in Kansas City. How have you marketed your business? Well, again, another luxury of having lower cost of operation is that we can afford to grow a little more organically with word of mouth. You know, I really do believe that that is the best form of advertising, no matter what. You know your friends better than I do. So if you come in and you enjoy our space, you are going to be the filter that then passes the word along to the friends of yours that you think would enjoy it versus the friends of yours, you know, would hate it because, you know, it, we're not going to be for everybody and that's, that's okay. You know, like, so, so I think that people do a really good job of, of being our filter for us. We were lucky that we, we got some good press when we came to town and we really haven't done much marketing other than Visit KC is, you know, a marketing place that we use for the out-of-towners that might come into town. You know, we, our, our beginning was, was pretty well-timed, I believe, for where Kansas City was, you know, where the crossroads was. There's been some growth since then that I don't know that our same tactics would work now, uh, but we've been very lucky that 
word of mouth has very, been very kind to us. And the our, our, our lower overhead, like I said, compared to other markets, allows us to kind of play that game, play that long game. And uh, and we've been been really happy to see that, you know, we're, we're flying steady and uh, we can be more grateful for the people that come and see us. Word of mouth, I think, is so underrated at the true power that it has. The way that I heard about Swordfish Toms was a close family friend when I started getting really into exploring Kansas City and trying to find local businesses and get out there and visit businesses I hadn't been to before. One of the first places she recommended to me was Swordfish Toms. And that, of course, has led me to tell other people about it. So I it's great that that has worked so well for you guys because there is something to it. And as you said, when you love a business so much, you're going to tell people about it. Like you're going to share that experience and positive experience with others because you want them to have the same experience as you did. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's easy to get muddied in the waters these days of social media. And there's a time and a place every business needs to figure out for them what is appropriate for them and marketing for them. You know, there's just something to be said about getting caught up and spending a lot of time and energy pandering to people who are never going to walk through the door of your business. And I'm a firm believer that if you spend the majority of your energy just focusing on the experience that you provide day in and day out to every single guest that walks through the door, that is a better time investment and a better energy investment than anything else. Um, so that's that's my stance. Ask me in ask me in five years, that might change, but that's my stance now. <laughs> <laughs> what have you loved most about being a business owner and being part of Swordfish Toms? I love to learn. You know, my my, my degrees in philosophy, and there's not much you can do with that. But I but I love to learn. And every day you learn something else. It's professional whack-a-mole. It keeps me, you know, uh, um, on my toes every day. You know, you start your day thinking that it's going to go one way and inevitably it goes a different direction, but that's okay. You know, I, I thrive in the chaos and... Um, I enjoy that. Enjoy that challenge. I we have a very small staff, and everybody that we that we employ, I, I truly enjoy being around. You know, they're they're smart, creative, funny, awesome people, and I, I actually enjoy being in the space that we work in with every single one of them. And uh, um, I, I I've enjoyed the opportunity to get other people into ownership positions. That's been a real point of pride. You know, there's some of it. I'm kind of winging it until I, I figure out the best model, but I think we've done well so far and I'm, I'm happy to, you know, I'm an open book. I'll share whatever I can share with other people. I know that not much of what I do transfers to other business models. I have a very narrow lane, but I will happily share everything in my lane that I've learned without anybody else because I want people to be successful and, and um, to be able to go do their own thing and stop making other people money and start making money for themselves. What are some challenges you faced with being a business owner? Well, you know, I mean, obviously the, the the elephant in the room is obviously COVID. COVID was definitely as for our industry was 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 rough, but super proud that because we had all of our ducks in a row, and I have a wonderful bookkeeper that I wouldn't trade for the world. Um, we instantly were qualified for the PPP money. We're able to retain not only all, all of our staff, but we were able to pay them full hourly plus their tips over the entire shutdown. So, really um, making it a point of pride to appreciate and know that the, the the real people running the show are, are, are your staff. I mean, I can't, I couldn't do everything by myself. You know, I, and these days I'm doing the, I'm putting out fires and doing the stuff that's not fun in the background or, you know, filling in the gaps, which is exactly where I should be doing everything you can to show the appreciation for the people that make it work day to day is a point of pride. I don't think a lot of people do it. I think a lot of people historically have viewed employees 
in all industries, but especially our industry is just disposable, you know, and I don't believe that. I believe that, you know, the people that, you know, I, I don't want them to hate coming to work. I've had jobs that I've hated going to, and I don't want to be that business owner for anybody. I want, I want people to not necessarily love to come to work because none of us love to go to work, but you know, <laughs> I don't want them to hate being there. I don't want them to loathe the getting up in the morning and knowing that they have to come into somewhere they hate. So it's a goal of mine to make sure that, you know, we have a, a happy, healthy staff that, you know, isn't, isn't hating their lives at every turn. Um, and that's um, something I, I just take pride in, I guess, because I don't think a lot of people in our industry do. I'm a pretty firm believer in trying to look at the silver lining in certain situations. And obviously COVID, a lot of devastating things happen. A lot of people dealt with devastation in their lives. And I do feel like there have been a lot of silver linings that have come out of COVID, whether that's just my perception or what I'm choosing to believe. I think there was a mutual understanding of everyone struggling and trying to be there for each other and supporting and having respect for each other, really coming out of COVID with like a new set of eyes. Yeah, you know, I think there were definitely, there was a huge learning curve for a lot of businesses and those businesses that were lucky enough to be able to have low enough overhead and to be able to pivot into things that could cover the gap. You know, when I when I hear stories about what rent is in certain places, you know, I, I mean, full restaurants, full and, and we're lucky because we're so small. I mean, I mean, we're not even a, we're not even a we're not we're not a small business. We're like a nano business, you know, and part of our advantage. And I think part of the future is going to be considering this very seriously is that making money isn't always about and being successful isn't always about the you know, doing bigger, more, you know, bigger things. It, you know, it's about, you know, you can, you can increase your profitability by lowering your overhead and doing smaller things. There's a sweet spot where you're small enough that your overhead is low enough that you can just kind of hunker down and, 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 and float below water for you know, an, an amount of time. But if your rent is, you know, 30, $40,000 a month, which is not, which is not unheard of for like giant restaurants in certain areas. I mean, that's insane to me. And I, I mean, and I, I, my heart goes out to anybody who who's in that game because it is it looks like it's it's a machine that is is you know just printing money but when you know the overhead behind that curtain it's there's some crazy crazy stuff going on and and that's that's a a lot of work being done behind the scenes when you are able to take a step back from work what does life in Kansas City look like for you what's your sweet spot of being able to enjoy enjoy life outside of work you know, it's funny because I, I'm one of those people that the shutdown wasn't that big of a deal for because I'm kind of an introvert by heart. I'm a total introvert by nature. You know, we we, we cook at home a lot and stay, we stay home a lot, but we do have our favorite places that we go out to and we have our routines. And, um, you know, so we like to support other, you know, like local businesses, um, some of our favorites. Um, we hit ABC Cafe about once a week. That's a good one. Hirocho is probably one of my favorite restaurants here in town. Antler Room. I actually listened to the Antler Room episode this today. So great to see to hear Leslie. Um, I love that space. There's there's a lot of really awesome local people here to support, and I I I, I hope my, my worry right now is that we're kind of in a weird point where Kansas City wants to grow and be a real boy. We want to grow up, you know, and and there's some growing pains with that, and there has to be an you know a concerted effort on the part of the city to to rally behind and maintain locally owned small businesses. And I think we're kind of at that crossroads right now. No, no pun intended. I'm in the crossroads, but, um, but I, I do believe that there's, there are some hard conversations coming up with the future of, of how much Kansas city is willing to stand behind its small business and build up and give incentives to small businesses 
as opposed to going kind of down the road of a lot of other places where once gentrification sets in, the price point per square foot is just too much for any locally owned business to occupy. And I do think there's still a lot of opportunity here, but I, I do believe that the city is is coming close to needing to have that conversation with itself about what the future of small business looks like in Kansas City. Just hope that as we continue to grow, Kansas City doesn't lose sight of what makes it so special and unique. Yeah, definitely. And that's um that's kind of the whole, you know, uh, conversation about, you know, when I visit other cities, you know, whenever you go out of town, whenever you visit any any city, you want to find that city. You know, you want to find the things that the locals like to do. And I, I think it's easy to look at local businesses as these kind of rinky dink things that don't contribute a whole lot on the, like, okay, I'm not, I'm not contributing millions of dollars on the grand scale, but local businesses and, you know, and, and the people of, of, of any city are really what make a city unique. There has to be some sort of concession that even if we're not bringing millions of dollars in, we are providing the flair that is Kansas City. And there is a, yeah, I always tell people there's, there's a price point per square foot where you will see that disappear. And we are approaching that, that point in a lot of the, you know, the, the, the touristy areas. And I just would so love to, to see the city really make an effort to make sure that the local businesses, you know, can stay, can stay in place and that they won't sell out to, you know, giant corporate chains. But, you know, we, we, we always, we know the direction of, of this generally. So <laughs> I think part of the problem with Kansas City is it's so spread out that sometimes when people come to town and you tell them where your favorite places are, you know, it's not, sometimes it's, it's, it's a 15, 20 minute Uber ride, but it's worth it, you know? Um, and, and the, the, the flair of Kansas city is, is kind of widespread, but I, you know, I, I do think that there's real value if you can get people to come check out some of the places that are here. I think oftentimes people from bigger cities come in and they're, they're, they're kind of surprised at the quality of things that are here. And it, it goes back, I, I firmly believe it's because that that secret of, yeah, it's because our overhead's lower. You know, we can actually afford to do quality things here. You know, that, that just is what it is. So I hope it stays that way. What is something you would want people to know about yourself, whether it's something on a personal end, something business related? What's something, what's something you think people would be surprised to hear about you? I know that, you know, I, I know that in a lot of circles, I kind of get tagged as the mean mom. You know, I, I, I say things. I'm like the brutally honest person. I, I keep joking around that my my newfound hobby is crushing souls on Casey restaurant jobs at 3 a.m., you know, where it was just like hard, you know, life reality advice. And the reality is I want everyone to be able to succeed because, you know, I, I, I came up through, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't come from money, you know, um, I, I certainly had, had privilege. There's no doubt about that in that sense, but I didn't, I didn't see myself as being able to be a business owner. The only collateral I had was paying attention and accumulating wealth through knowledge that I could leverage to become a business owner. I didn't have, you know, the startup funds, but I I had the experience and I had the wherewithal to put together a business plan and a pro forma that held water. You know, I think that's accessible to most people if they're willing to put the time in. There's no shortcuts. You know, I know when I deliver hard messages, I, I sound brutal, but it really does come from a place of of love and wanting people to succeed for themselves. You know, our industry has an 85% failure rate. I, where, where it kind of comes full circle for me is that, you know, even as someone who has opened up several places that have a good track record for success, I still can't walk into a bank and get a small business loan because our industry is so is so clouded by this 85% failure rate. It's considered a high-risk investment. And, and I get it. 
so, so I would like more people with more of the knowledge to be able to start places and let's weed these guys out that, you know, our, I call our industry a fetish industry all the time. You know, oh, I'm a I'm a doctor or a lawyer, or an architect, or I just I just want to have a little bar where my friends can hang out and it can bleed out money. They don't care. They're not there to make money. And when they get bored with it, they, they close it. There, there's so many things that are off kilter in our industry money wise. You know, there's a there's a perception of value for price points, you know, because. You never know when you walk into a place that's really fancy, you never know what's propping it up. It's like, oh, is this being backed by somebody who has millions of dollars and they don't need to make money? Is this a hobby project? Is this owned by a restaurant group that has 10 other places that are supplementing it? Or is this an individually sustainably profitable business that has to be profitable for the sake of the, the owner operators? And I, I, I keep saying, I wish there was some sticker you could put in your window that would indicate that to people because there's just so many different backstories of businesses and none of them are, are bad. It's just that there's a lot of different reasons that places exist and it throws the perception of value and the guest experience off um, when, when they visit those places. And I'm, I'm just here to try to help people who might not have the immediate resources to find entrepreneurship re you know, opportunities, maybe not in the markets that they thought were ideal, but were they real? I mean, I I couldn't open up a bar in Austin or New York or LA. Like that would take millions of dollars. Like that's just, you know, but there is opportunity in smaller markets and you have to be good at something. You have to pay attention to the business side of what you're doing. And, and if you do that long enough, you'll eventually start to be qualified to put together a business plan. It doesn't happen immediately. It's a long game. I think a lot of people really see things through rose colored glasses and forget to take those glasses off to really look at a business or a product to think to themselves, things don't just happen overnight. Yeah, well, 100%, you know, it's the instant gratification of technology, uh, you know, um, but you're right, it, it doesn't happen overnight. I, I can't tell you, I didn't, I didn't just climb up, like I tooth and nailed, worked shitty shifts at you know, three different places because, you know, how you get your foot in the door is like, well, we only have Tuesday nights open. And then maybe if something else opens up, you might get a weekend night. I mean, in a, in a male dominated industry, I was a single mom, you know, I mean, it was, it was brutal. I mean, I, I something else most people might probably don't know about me. I don't know. Maybe they do. I broke my back when I was 15. I have two permanently paralyzed feet, you know, so I was never fast on my feet as a bartender, but silver lining, I, that forced me to be more efficient and it really, in a weird way, was a blessing because I have been able to look at designing bars and bar setups for efficiency versus just aesthetics and, you know, oh, this is the way we've always done it. This long bar where you're, you're wasting half your night running up and down a bar for, for no reason um, when things can just be put in a proper place and things can be efficient and ergonomic. And that feeds directly into profitability. You know, I always tell people one more drink every 15 minutes at Swordfish. That doesn't sound like a lot. One more drink every 15 minutes on just Friday and Saturday nights is $50,000 a year made or lost. So thinking about every aspect, you know, everything from staffing, I mean, and you know, everything from the, the bar design, the ergonomic, the ergonomic flow of the bar from the time a guest walks in to the time they leave, the quality of service that you're able to provide on a minimal staff that, in, that, that, results in them maximizing individual income. You know, if, if you're, if, if your floor plan sucks and you now need four extra people to do things efficiently, none of them are making any money, you know, and I'm, and I'm, I'm really proud that, you know, everything was thoughtful in our business model about it runs on two people and, and they, they work their ass off when they're there, but they can make really good money in that, in, in that time. And they work three nights a week and they have four nights a week to go, you know, have a life and, and do what they want to do. They don't have to work seven nights a week to make ends meet. Yeah. I, I can't even tell you, I mean, everything from 
negotiating a lease, you know, um, you know, vetting contractors. I, I mean, mistakes that, you know, we, we paid for hard because I didn't have experience, you know, um, we're, we're lucky we have really incredible partners that fall into some of those categories. I always say, if, if you don't have the skill set, find somebody who does, you know, don't keep your own books unless you have a background in bookkeeping, hire a bookkeeper, you know, I mean, like what, what, what my bookkeeper does in, in two hours a week would take me 10 and I would screw it up. You know, every part of it, you know, babysitting the, the open, you know, like the, the, the scheduling, you know, the, the, the inspections, the, the budgeting, you know, I, I take it very seriously. When you ask somebody for their money, I'm not a fan of crowdfunding. And I'm going to say something that is going to be, be wildly unpopular. There are exceptions to this rule. I will concede, but I firmly believe that if you're good enough at what you do to be trusted with somebody's money, the money will find you. People always ask me how I find investors. I don't really find investors. They kind of find me because I have a history of, of, running places that do well. And, I, and I've, I've earned that. I've been at it for 26 years. So just because you attended some seminar or certification and you've been behind the stick for two years, thinking that you can skip the ladder into ownership, I am so grateful that no one trusted me with their money until I was this far into the game because I would have absolutely lost it. You know, what we what I learned through opening the other room with bumpers that I was grateful to have in that situation blew my mind. I, I I knew nothing until that, that, and I was 13 years in. I get a little frustrated with a lot of how easily people can come across the crowdfunding money because it goes back into the conversation of the failure rate. It's like, well, if you're not truly qualified, you're probably going to lose that money and you're going to fail and kudos for trying. But that is another nail in the coffin of our industry because we are just so designated as a failure industry. And I would like more of the people who have really established themselves as having put in the time and the work and know how every part of that business works and they can write a business plan. I would like more of those people to be at the helm of, of businesses. I think you obviously know what the hell you're doing because you have this awesome bar and have been part of other ventures as well. And kudos to you and your team and everyone who's been involved at Swordfish Tom. So with 2024 being right around the corner, are there any new drinks coming out soon? Is there anything that will be changing on the menu that uh, people would want to know about? We change the menu twice a year. And this fun fact, aside from the house favorites that have been on for a while or Manhattan Project cocktails that I brought, this is the first menu that I don't actually have a cocktail on right now. And that just goes to show how much I totally trust everybody that's on board. Uh, Simone is 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 a, a, a flying the ship and um, everybody contributes to the menu. The menu right now is very, you know, winter spices, holiday season. Uh, there's a, a great non-alcoholic uh, section. So if you're not imbibing or you want to do something that just slows you down a little bit for that throughout the night, we have we have those options as well. Um, every, everything on the menu right now is is really spot on. You know, there's I always say there's not there's not going to be no, no drink is going to be for everybody. But I think we do a good job of creating a menu where there is something for everyone. It's just that not every drink is going to be for everybody. There's a there's a Negroni riff on the menu right now that is just so stupid good. And I'm somebody that traditionally doesn't like Negronis. So um, it's called the Jakarta Negroni. And I, I, I shouldn't even talk about it without fully knowing exactly which employee had that recipe. Um, I want to give proper credit where credit's due. It was not me. It's not my drink. Um, so I won't take the credit. But um, but they, yeah, they did a really spectacular job on this menu right now. And I would I would urge anybody to come down. It'll change again in the spring. We just you know change it twice a year. Uh, and, we, and also something that's really important for us to ever, for everybody to know is that we're never limited to our menu. That if you come in, if you don't 
feel like looking at a menu and you just want to play the what do you like game, we are totally down with that. Like, in fact, it's kind of fun sometimes to to stop making the same 10 drinks over and over again and and, and do something, um, you know, riff something for you. So feel free to, to, to bring that up to us. So for anyone listening who is unfamiliar where Swordfish Toms is, can you explain where it is in the crossroads and where they can follow along on social media as well? Yeah, so uh, we are at 210 West 19th Terrace. Um, that is between Wyandotte and Central down on the crossroads. Uh, the the entryway to our building is in the alley, is in the east alley of the building. You'll see a gray door with our name on it. You just open that up and come down the steps. And there's a little waiting area down there with a red or green light that tells you whether or not we're full. And uh, if, if it's green, just knock. We'll go ahead and get you in. Trying to think of anything else that might be pertinent to that. Um, you know, I, I always tell people, you know, the best chance of avoiding a wait is to come right at open at 4 p.m. Usually during the week, there's not much of a chance of a wait on the weekends. You know, I, I would say if you want to guarantee that you're not going to have to wait, I would say show up right at open at 4 p.m. You know, we can definitely accommodate larger groups as fast as we can, but we only let in the number of people that we can serve well. So I tell people, you know, if you've got a larger group, come right at open because otherwise we're just not going to be able to guarantee you all getting in at the same time or being able to sit together. Once you see the inside of the space, it makes sense. It's kind of like your great your great aunt's living room, your crazy great aunt's living room. Um, so we, it's all pretty modular. We move people around, um, play Tetris all night long to make, try to get people to, to sit where they want to sit. But yeah, yeah, that's uh, come down. Um, we're casual. No, no, no dress code. I, other than the health, health requirements and no, no hate wear, Trump wear. That's the only uh, the only policy we have. <laughs> we'll kindly pass on that. Other than that, just come as you are, and uh, we'd love to have you. Jill, this was this was great. I so appreciate you coming on, and we are such big fans of Swordfish Toms and what you guys are doing. And I love the hidden component. I love how intimate the setting is. It's truly unlike any cocktail bar in Kansas City. Man, thank thanks so much. It's it's just always an honor to be you know, to feature be featured on things like this, and um, I appreciate the shout out and the support and the love of Kansas City. It's a great community to be in, and we're looking forward to the future. Be sure to check out Swordfish Tom's delicious cocktails. Casey by Sari comes out every Thursday, so be sure to subscribe to listen to more incredible behind the scenes stories of Kansas City businesses and entrepreneurs. For more local businesses and things happening around KC. Follow me on Instagram at Casey by Sari. See you next week. Sorry.